Good morning, church. This morning's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who has sowed good seed in his field, but when everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed seeds and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the servants of the householder came to him and said, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 36, then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples approached him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the fields. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will collect his angels, well, sorry, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of this kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and it will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I must say I was a little preoccupied after I heard about Sally's passing. But be that as it may, we as church, well said, Charlene, how we hold these moments. And Serena Smith, wonderful to have you in worship. Serena is our executive director at uh, Berkeley Christian Counselors. And uh, she's with us this weekend. And so um, wanted to get her, her smiling face up here. So um, encourage you to greet her and uh, get to know her. So this morning, we will continue our summer walk through our lectionary texts. Our travels today bring us to a parable and its interpretation that are quite interesting. You know, the parables themselves are short stories. They are just kind of um, deceptively simple in their presentation and, their, and yet profound in their meaning. 
Oftentimes, Jesus has said in Matthew 13 and other places, let the one who has ears hear. And having ears to hear is crucial to understanding what this might mean for our lives. And so uh, I think the best place to do is to just simply go to prayer and to pray for illumination. So would you join me in prayer? Holy God, word made flesh, let us come to this word open to being surprised. Silence our agendas, banish our assumptions, cast out our casual detachment. Confront our expectations, clear the cobwebs from our ears, penetrate the corners of our hearts with this word. We know that you can, and so we pray that you will. And we wait with ante great anticipation upon your Holy Spirit. Amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just summarize the parable and then the interpretation and then focus on one of the questions that the servants ask the master or the owner of the field and see if we can find a way to make that relevant to what we're doing here today and what you're doing with your life and all those kind of things. Dale Bruner, who is oftentimes quoted by us, uh, has written a very masterful uh, commentary on the book of Matthew that I've used for years. And I went back to it and looked at it this week. He helps us connect today's passage uh, with the previous parable of the sower that Tom preached about last week. And he says this, the sower parable, that is the one about the four soils last week, the sower parable turns our attention upward toward the reverent reception of the word in the church. The weeds parable turns our attention outward toward the nonviolent application of the word of God in the world. Or, and very simply put, what I'm going to talk about today, in the member words of our own spiritual Jedi master, Sue Berger, who told me this week, we don't live in a world that's just wheat. The sermon's over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this parable likens the kingdom of heaven to a field where a good master sowed good seed. At night, another comes and sows bad seed and then goes away. When the grain is near its harvest, key thought, key point in the, in the story, the servants see these weeds with the wheat, and they are shocked and surprised at this fact, and so they turn to the master of the field and they ask three questions. One, Lord, did you not sow good feeds in this field? Questioning the seeds of what the master had done or the owner had done. Two, if it wasn't you, who did this? And three, do you want us to go and pull up those weeds? Which is the, which is the question I'm going to ask us to, to look at. To give a little more context, the, the answer is to these questions, the enemy has done this. That's what the owner says. The owner then responds to the third question in the negative, do not pull up the weeds. Why? Because in pulling them up, you will tear into the root system of the good wheat and you will pull them up as well. Further, Jesus says, let them grow together till the harvest. The reapers will come, pull out the weeds, use them for fuel, and place the harvest of good wheat into the owner's barn. Now, question I had this week was, what are we to make of this? It might appear to us 
that the owner doesn't know how to take care of his field. He doesn't know how to farm. So it kind of makes this story seem illogical. So then you have to ask the other question, maybe I need to ask a question that's different than that. What don't we know about the kind of farming that Jesus is referring to? That's the question. Multiple biblical commentators of the past and the present speak of a unique situation. It is a wheat field. It is not a home garden. In such fields of wheat, there is a plant that's called darnel, or maybe in, you've seen it in other translations, the tares. When it grows, and as it grows, it looks like wheat. Only when it begins to come to seed does it show itself as false wheat. It's a nasty kind of plant. For history, it has plagued uh, agriculture. Its roots entangle around the wheat, stealing moisture and nutrition from the good plants. In addition, the seed is poisonous. Agricultural history shows how this has had toxic effects on animals, humans and animals, when that is when that's eaten with grain that is mixed with darnel. Well, but wait a second. Doesn't this fact strengthen the case for weeding? Why not get it out earlier, right? Why not weed when the bad seed first appears or assume that it's bad seed and pull it up? Why wait and leave it to the reapers, the harvesters? But it is clear that the servants are not the ones who are, who are, who are fully capable to be weeders of God's garden. So that Jesus takes the disciples, he often does, takes them into a private room. The parables are given publicly, but then there is this private interaction that goes on with Jesus and his, and his followers to interpret these things. So Jesus takes the disciples into a private home. Then they ask him to explain and help them make sense of what this means for them. And then Jesus tells them the following. He says, well, you see, the sower is the son of man, that is Jesus, so not God. It is a reference to Daniel 7, but I won't go into that. The field is the world and not just the church. The good seed are kingdom people, both inside and outside the church. The weeds are the followers of the evil one. They could be in the church or outside of the church. The enemy is the devil or the diabolos, the one who sows slander. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels, not the disciples. At the end, the angels are sent. They bundle up the weeds, which are all causes of sin and evildoers, it says, for burning, destruction, purification, fuel. Bring, and then they bring, they bring the righteous children, or the good wheat, the righteous children of the Father who shine like the stars in the heaven are brought into the barn. And then Jesus completes the interpretation with these words, let anyone with ears uh, hear. Which, if you were sitting with Jesus and he was giving you that interpretation, you might have been going, what? The more I thought about it this week, how distanced this apocalyptic vision is from the way I live. And yet then I thought, though, how apocalyptic our culture has become in its images. So maybe it really is buried in there somewhere. But that's another sermon. So let's come back to the present sermon. <clears throat> like two bookends, the parable and then the interpretation, look at the reality of evil from two different directions. 
In the parable, evil is seen from its source. An enemy has done this. It's very kind of unclear, like, who is this enemy? An enemy has done this. And then in Jesus' interpretation, it is seen from the end of the age. The way the weeds are gathered up and burned up in the fire is the way it will be when the age comes to its fruition. It would appear, and I think it's right, to assume and understand that the parable is a call to patience in the present, with the presence of evil. And the interpretation of the parable is a word of warning and also of encouragement. Remember, we are not detached viewers of the activity that's going on. In reality, we are inside the parable. The lives that we live, that we go about doing, we're inside these parables. We're in mid-story. We don't get that opportunity to kind of stand back and go, oh, I want to see how this is going to play out, you know. No, it's playing out through you and through us, right? So it's important to keep this in mind as the kingdom of God grows in us and in our midst. Because here we have a perspective, which I will say, releases us from the burden of solving the problem of evil. And also this vision provides the assurance that evil in the end will be dealt with once and for all. And the combination of those two things, as I will say in a few minutes, gives us a certain kind of space in which to pray, cry, wrestle, support each other, but a space from which to deal with this. Growing up, my father felt that my moral reformation and the time needed for reflection to help assist me to change my ways was to demand that I spend a sufficient part of the afternoon weeding the garden. I believe that he thought that he was getting a bargain in some way. He was getting a better son and a garden that was rid of the weeds. But in truth, his own weeding practices caused no little consternation for my mother. There was a moment that vividly sticks in my mind where I'm sitting at the kitchen table. She's facing outward towards the back lawn and horror comes upon her face and her hands take her head and her hair and she just screams, my flowers. <laughs> my dad didn't know how to weed so well. <laughs> But that, that story stuck in my mind as I thought about this question. Do you want us to get rid or weed these evil plants? Shall we uproot them for you? No? What is Jesus saying here about evil is one of the questions. What does he mean? Is he teaching us not to care about evil? To challenge evil in our time? To confront it? You are my, you are, I might at times find ourselves when we hear us thinking, in the real world, Jesus, are you really saying that we should just let evil have its way? Shouldn't we do something? Now, I admit, as kind of 21st century Americans, culture, Western culture, who always has this kind of per, uh, leaning towards kind of privileged to take control of the situation. I want to do something. I don't want to just let it be. I want to do something. And there's a point at which that impulse is good. We see this in the Psalms 
and in the prophets, there's this impulse of righteous anger and frustration at what is evil. And we know that that is there. It's when, when is it that we run into a problem? And that is a certain kind of temptation. The impulse to weed, to root out, to get rid of the evil weeds is not wrong in itself, but when we take this into our own hands, there is the danger of ripping up, tearing into, and damaging the good wheat and the roots supporting growth. I've had firsthand experience, and many of you have, that where this occurs in faith communities, trust in God's care and providence is the first casualty when this happens. And I would say that there's a word of note here. This is not a passage to apply to church discipline, right? Matthew 18 furnishes us the practice for restorative discipline. It would be disastrous to use this text to, quote, purify the church. It only, though, takes a quick look at world history and church history to see examples of how weapons of war whether real weapons or words used as weapons to weed out pursued, perceived evil and those who are labeled enemies, that this tears into the social fabric and erodes spiritual confidence in God's word and in the gospel. Let me say that again. That if we use words as weapons, take that as you want to go with it, or even when Christians have used weapons, literal weapons, to rid the world of evil, it tears into the social fabric and it erodes the spiritual confidence of a community and a culture in God's word and in the gospel. And truly, in such wars of culture, politics, and religion, it's always the most vulnerable that are displaced and the voiceless become nameless, all in the name of ridding the world of evil. We know this. So then what are we to do? That question kept bugging me this week. What are we to do? Strangely, it seems, a policy of the non-eradication of, of evil can release us from the burden and the burnout of trying to get rid of it. I was thinking of Michelle's sermon from two weeks ago where she was talking about, are you burnt out on religion? Are you burnt out on trying to do God's will through your own energy and to rid your life, your world, your situations, to rid it of evil? Strangely enough, the aim of trying to rid the world of evil might actually put it in its own hands. And we become servants of that which we don't want to serve. But instead, we have the space to confront the evil of our time. I suggest we respond to this very real and rele relevant concern of what to do by considering the phrase that is found in the letter of the Ephesians. Redeem the time for the days are evil. Time here is not clock, get it done now time, but being ready and responsive to the opportune time for wise action in, light, in the light of the presence of evil, or kairos time. And so I reflected on this, and I'm not giving this as commands, it's just kind of 
reflections because I think the question of evil is so at times complex and needs to be dealt with so both carefully but wisely and truly, right? But these are just some of my reflections, so you can take them as you wish before we finish the message. First, let go of the burden to weed God's garden. Don't put yourself under the burden to weed God's garden. And that could be the garden of your family, the church, community, or whatever like that. Two, remember God owns the field, not the evil one. There's no need ultimately to loathe or despair that evil is present. I just want to stop and say, look around this, this sanctuary. Like when, when Charlene was saying what was welcoming folks, where would you be? Look at the people who are here. The value that, that we have as a community for one another to redeem the time because the days are evil, because the way we live together and work together and serve together, love together, laugh together, cry together, and lament together. But that way we are able to not be succumbed to that sense of despair that the world is simply going to hell in a handbasket and I can't do anything about it. Number three, keep your own space clean. <laughs> Meaning, Look at the evil that you might be complicit with. Look, look at the evil that might be going on in, in you. Uh, the sins, the things like that. Don't despair, don't loathe, but go to God and go to confidence, meaning confidence with people whom you care about. Fourth, sink your roots deep into doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. To deal with these other roots that might entangle around us, go deep deeper and stronger in the root system. <clears throat> the other one, the other point is to be nourished by the patient suffering of Christ in the presence of evil. The passion of Jesus really teaches us a lot as we live with it for our lifetime about dealing with evil and strategies that are workable, those that are serviceable, and those that are not. And the last is confront evil wisely, name it, speak out for those in need, speak out for those who are vulnerable, even if there is no prospect of getting rid of the source of evil. Do it. Right? May we see the evil and not succumb to despair or hyperactivity, Dear siblings in Christ, let us grow strong root systems together in healthy, honest, and holy community. I pray that's what we're doing here. And may we always remember that God owns the field, not the one who sows evil. And may it be so for us. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs>